to start this morning uh, with the idea of you're in your kitchen and you have your cup of coffee and you have your Bible and you have your little devotional book. And I don't know if any of you have those. Maybe it's called Portals of Prayer or you have another devotional book that you use. And so often there's one scripture at the top. So here's God's word. Then there's a little paragraph that explains it and then a little prayer at the end. Do you know what I'm talking about? So I want us this morning as we start to think of it this way. We're going to look at one verse and see how this one verse speaks to us. You ready? All right. Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Amen. The world and all who live in it. I think you're alone, Albrecht. He's my German amener. So, how does this speak to you? What does it mean to you? And do you believe it to actually be true? Everything that you have, everything that God has placed in your hands, is actually just God's. I mean, this is deep. Just so you know, this is not an easy pill to swallow. For me either. That everything, not some things, everything. That means my house, my cars, my business, if I'm a business owner, my bank accounts. Ready for this one? My children. Some of you are like, he can have them back. <laughs> All who live in it, including you, belong to the Lord. Does God really own everything? Well, today we are starting a brand new sermon series here at Shepherd's Gate. And I'm so glad that you're here those of you that are joining us online or maybe you're watching later on demand, I'm so glad that you're going to tune in and let us speak God's word into your life. See, here at Shepherd's Gate, our mission is to impact the world with the love of Jesus. And we have a three-part vision statement. It says this. It says we're to value everyone we meet, influence everywhere we go. And the third part of the vision statement is actually that we will live generously with everything that we have. And so a couple years ago, we did an entire sermon series on the first part of our vision statement, Value Everyone We Meet, and that was an eight-week-long series, and we brought in different guest speakers, and we talked about what that means as a follower of Jesus to really, truly value everyone that God has placed on this planet. Also, a couple years ago, we did an entire year on talking about being an influencer and what that means, that we influence everywhere we go. And we believe everyone has influence. It's a term we bring up a lot around here at Shepherd's Gate. Well, today we're going to start this whole process, this whole new sermon series for the next four weeks, talking about the third part of our vision statement, that we as a congregation want to live generously with everything we have. And do you know what that includes? Money. I said it <laughs> in church. Ready? I'm going to say it again. Ready? Money. Can you say it with me? Money. Some of you just got really uncomfortable, didn't you? 
Some of you, this is your first time here, and you just went, oh my goodness, what in the world, God, are you doing to me? Why am I at this church? Every church I go to, all they ever do is talk about money. All they ever want is my money. See, I don't think you're here by accident if this is your first time here, if you're watching online for the first time, or this is your third or fourth or tenth or twelfth or twentieth or one hundredth week here. I believe God's always orchestrating the events of our lives to put us exactly where he wants us to be. Did you know that? But let's be honest this morning, and this is kind of my goal this first week, is to kind of remove the uncomfortableness of the conversation. How does that sound? I mean, we all know we don't like talking about money. But why don't we like talking about money? We think it's ours. It's a private matter. Because why? We don't want anybody to tell us what to do with it. It's hard to come by. It's hard to come by. We earn, we, that's good, we work hard to earn it. And then so it's, it's hard to let go, right? It's hard to live generously. And here's the thing. There's these firms, believe it or not, that survey churches all over the U.S. in all shapes and sizes from all different denominations and non-denominational churches. And they literally came up with the top three reasons people don't want to talk about money in church. What do you think the number one reason is? The number one reason people don't want to talk about money in church. Because all the church wants is my money, right? All the church wants is my money. Number two, the church must be in financial trouble if we're having to talk about money. Good news, congregation. We are in the most healthy financial state that we've ever been in as a church. God has poured out his blessings upon this place. Thank you for all of those that continue to give faithfully, sacrificially, and hold us together even through the last couple of years that we've been through. God has truly shown up in so many ways and provided even far exceeding what we could ever hope, dream, or imagine because we know it's his power that's at work within us. Amen? Amen. And wouldn't you know, some of you already started laughing because you read ahead, (laughs) the third reason, these are church people gave for why people don't want to talk about churches because the pastor wants or needs a raise. That's awesome, isn't it? That's incredible. Well, I was going over my slides with the staff this week, which is what we always do, so we're all on the same page, and our kids' ministry is learning the same exact thing that we learn here on Sunday mornings, just in a different way. And uh, they said, what you should tell the congregation is that you don't want or need a raise. What you really want or need is a boat, And that's because we started a social group for boaters. Did you know that? And the pastor should be with his people (laughs) on Lake Michigan. So I wanted to throw that out to you as well. But I know, listen, I'm a sarcastic person, and I know when people talk about money, and I wish, honest to God, more than any other Sunday morning, I wish that I could be a fly on, on the window of your car on the ride home to hear the conversations like, can you believe this and I can't and this and this and this and this. Hopefully on the inside of the window, not the outside so you don't squash me. But here's the thing. Some of you are going to say this. Well, the reason that you're doing it here at Shepherd's Gate is because you want to renovate and expand the building. Right? And so what are the things we're going to do this first Sunday? Because this is going to be a four-part sermon series that we're going to walk through. 
is the temptation is going to be, I don't know about that. I don't know if there's some kind of hidden agenda or motive going on behind the scene. Is this really, truly what we're about? This is the way things work at Shepherd's Gate. We are, and it's our favorite word, a family. And we come together as a family, and we speak into things as a family, and we seek God for whatever direction he has for our future. And so those of you that call Shepherd's Gate home, you actually already have an email sitting in your inbox, which is unpacking and unfolding where we're at, actually, with our Faith Forward initiative. And because of the feedback of our congregation, what we're doing now this month is we're actually, uh, we're actually having the future campus planning team take all of your ideas and make some tweaks with what we believe God is leading us for the future. That's one option. The second option is this. What if we don't do any uh, expansion? What if we just keep all the structure that we have here at Shepherd's Gate, we stay in the same worship center, we don't do anything, but we replace the roof, we replace and, you know, fortify the wall that's leaning that way, that's the temporary wall, make it not temporary anymore, fix the carpet, get new chairs, and don't do any structural changes anywhere else in our building. What would that cost? And the re reason we're doing this is because you said, hey, we want to know what that would cost. So, okay, we're going to work with the professionals and find out that cost. The third one that came up was this. What would it cost if we sold everything that God gave us here on 23 Mile, found a new plot of land, and just started from scratch and just built a whole new church over again? So, <laughs> listen, this was feedback from you, so you guys can hash this out amongst yourselves. We're walking in lockstep, and so it's the attitude and the heart behind these things that, that I want to get to, that we realize we're all on the same team, and that we're all seeking God's direction for our future. And so that's what we're going to talk about, because this is what I know. This is what I know to be true. Money is historical and it's emotional for people. Do you know why it's historical? Every single one of you in here are impacted and you make financial decisions based on your childhood, based on the way that you were raised, based on the way that your parents taught you to handle money. And so some of you, you, you look at your parents and they were un unbelievable and they did things a certain way and so you wanted to follow in their steps and so that's how you live your life. Others of you, you look at your parents and you say, they had no clue what they were doing. They were completely irresponsible. And so you fight hard to not live the life that maybe they lived. There's a historical aspect to us. But let's be honest, it's also emotional. It just has this way of just raising our blood pressures and making us uncomfortable. And some of you, maybe your blood pressure is still boiling right now, right? You're just like, man, I cannot believe we're doing this. You've already decided you're going to Kensington the next three weeks, right? You're like, I'm out of here. <laughs> Guess what? Kensington's talking about money this month, too, okay? So you might have to shift to Woodside, okay? They got 14 campuses. No, here's the thing. I want you to stick around and hear what it is that we have to say. I want you to stick around and see what it is that, that God may speak to your heart and where the Holy Spirit may lead you, because I want to tell you a couple things. Number one, I am not using somebody else's sermon series. I didn't go get this online. I didn't go watch a bunch of preachers speak on stewardship. This is straight from my heart as I have dug into the word, as I have prayed, and as I have sought God's will for our church for this time. God, what word do you have for the people that call Shepherd's Gate home? Because this is what I know to be true. The Bible, is a, or the Bible says that money is actually a spiritual matter. So much so, hang on to this, the Bible actually includes 500 verses on prayer, Less than 500 verses on faith, which is actually what saves us, 
and puts us in a right relationship with God where we ultimately get to see him, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Just let that sit for a moment. Imagine being in the reverse role. Imagine if you were a pastor of a congregation. Would you feel that you have an obligation or an opportunity to preach all of God's word, not just the ones that make us feel nice and fluffy with rainbows and unicorns, right? No, we preach all of God's word. We look to all of scripture and what he has for us. So here's what's really cool. I've been at Shepherd's Gate 18 years. I've been the lead pastor here. You've allowed me to speak into your life the last five years. I've, I've been blessed to be in the role that, I'm at, that I am and to be able to preach as much as I do. And so if you start from 2017, which was when you voted for me to be your pastor till now, how many sermons do you think that I've preached? Five years. Now imagine there's 52 weeks a year. We have special services, Ash Wednesday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday. Thanksgiving Eve, so we have 56 to 57 services a year in five years. So whatever number you have, you got to times it by five. What would you say? Who knows? 180, 200. Ready for this? 160 sermons in five years. <laughs> this is so good. That's fine, I'll take that. How many have I preached? This is where the slacking comes in, by the way. How many do you think I've preached on money? Think about it. Those of you that have been here the last five years, you say zero, two, okay, ready for this? And out of the three, I can tell you this. One was when we did the Gospel of Mark. You guys remember we did the Gospel of Mark for four months? And the reason I talked about money is because when we said whenever we do a New Testament book of the Bible, we will never, ever skip a section or a verse. And in Mark is where we find the account of Jesus talking to his disciples as he's watching the widow give her offering. So, of course, we talked about money that week. The other two is when we were introducing our new vision statement, and I had to talk about and define and unpack what it means to live generously with everything that you have. So here's what's really cool. I've only been a lead pastor for five years. I didn't come from another church as a lead pastor. I was brought up through the, through the ranks here, really. And wouldn't you know, I've never actually done a stewardship series before. You get to be the first ones to watch <laughs> and unfold whatever it is that I believe God has put on my heart for our church. Isn't that exciting? But let's be honest. Let's point, because there's still some elephants in the room. I don't feel like, like some of you just got to shake it off. Come on, shake it off with me, okay? And if you're brand new, I'm so sorry this is your first Sunday. You're going to get to know me today. This is just me. I'm a normal guy. I come from a normal place. I'll talk more about my testimony at the end. But my always question is this. Why do people get so defensive when they talk about money? Why is it whenever you bring up even the word tithe? I tithe. Okay. Don't tell me what to do. And I, you know, I don't, I don't have, and that, or they'll be like, I don't have to tithe. It's an Old Testament principle. That's what God commanded the children of Israel, and I am not bound by the tithe. Okay. Why, but why, but why the attitude? Why the defensiveness? Or I don't have to tithe 10% to my local church. I can give 2% here and 3% here, and I can go, you know, do this thing over here and donate to leader dogs for the blind over here, and whatever the organizations that you want to give. Okay. 
Is anyone like forcing you to do something? Is anyone, what, like, just think about that. Because what I want to get to is the root of it. I want to get to the root of our hearts. The root of what's so difficult for us to, to, to not live like this. It's mine. It's mine. I've worked hard for it. But to get, figure out how we can live like, oh man, it, all of this is God's. It's all God's. My house is made of wood and brick and materials that come from the earth. My car is made from materials that come from the earth. My own flesh, my kids. We just celebrated Ash Wednesday where we were reminded from dust we came and dust we will return. Oh, by the way, the dust that we're made of and the breath in our lungs actually comes from God. Imagine having that mindset and that perspective and viewing the world and everything that he has given us with that reality. How does that change things? How does that change things? And so these are our two focus verses. These are the two most important verses throughout all four weeks. It's this. 2 Corinthians 8, 7 and 2 Corinthians 9, 7. So they're easy to remember. 8, 7 and 9, 7. Just as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. So is it possible that we could grow in the grace of giving? Unless someone in here has arrived... And you figured this out, and you're like, no, I'm good. I've given beyond what, what you should give, and I've mastered this. And if you have, I need your help for the next three weeks, okay? Because I know I haven't figured this out. We can all grow in this. I think we could all agree, as Paul writes to the church in Corinth, we could all grow in the grace of giving. But I love it because he says in chapter 9, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. You know what he doesn't like? A legalistic giver or someone that's doing it out of guilt or someone that's just doing it to get God off their back. God is after our hearts. He is always after our hearts, and we'll talk more about that in a couple weeks. So here's some ground rules for the series, which is the only time you have to have ground rules is when you're doing a money talk, right? Here's the ground rules. Is that you are going to attend service. This is your home. You're going to attend service here. If you can't attend in person, you're going to make sure that you watch online, and you're going to listen to all four messages. Agree? Ground rule number two. If you're married, in the next four weeks, this month, you will have a conversation with your spouse. And it's going to be difficult, because I know some of you, you're not on the same page. Your spouse views giving differently than you do, but we're going to pray that God is going to work in your marriage and in your conversations, and that he's going to unite the two of you and figure out what it is that he has for your future. Does that sound good? Number three is this. No one is going to go off the rails and go off on somebody else in their household or in their small group if they have an issue with what I say. In fact, so much so, if you get upset with something that I say or disagree with something that I say, you will email me, you will call me, you will make an appointment with me. You won't allow the devil to have a foothold in any of the other relationships that you have here at church because maybe something stung you and you didn't like what you heard. Does that sound good? Number four is this. I got lots of ground rules. I will be as open and transparent as humanly possible starting today, and I will open up my life and I will share what it is that God has done in my life, and then next week like, we'll continue with part two of what God has done in my life so that you know I'm not just preaching at you or to you. I'm preaching with you because we're all on this, to get, all on this journey together. Does that sound good? All right, so we're going to start at the beginning. We're going to go through the whole Old Testament, 
all 39 books, how's that sound? <laughs> that talk about money or tithe. But again, let's start in the first book, first chapter, first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You already told me that you believe everything belongs to God in the, in the world, including us. Genesis 1.31, God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. Because he's a loving and gracious and good God. When you know in Genesis chapter 4, the first two brothers, Cain and Abel, this is where we first hear of an offering being brought to the Lord. They both brought an offering, and they bring an offering. One brings the fruit of the soil, God's soil. One brings a, a fat portion from some of his flock. Where do the animals come from? God, because it's in the creation account in Genesis. They weren't commanded to do this. We're not sure exactly why they're doing this. We just, this is the first instance in scripture where we see somebody giving something back to the Lord. Chapter 14 of Genesis, Abraham, we're introduced to him, and he gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything. Now, Abraham's kind of a major character in the, in the Old Testament. He was the one told by God to leave the comforts of your home to take just your immediate family and move out into the wilderness because I have great plans for you and I'm going to make your name great and I'm going to launch this whole nation out of you. And we find him in one area of his life actually giving a tenth back to Melchizedek. Well, he wasn't instructed. He wasn't commanded to do this. He just did it. So you just look at that as a pattern in scripture. Okay, Cain and Abel did it. Abram did it. Genesis 28, Jacob made a vow saying, God if you will be with me and you watch over me on my journey and you give me food to eat and clothes to wear that I can return safely to my father's house, all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So again, you're like, okay, we're studying scripture this morning, right? We're, we're digging into God's word. Why is there like this repeated pattern starting to emerge of this whole idea of a tenth? Leviticus, the Lord says to Moses, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to who? and that it's holy to the Lord. Okay, this is when he starts instituting what he wants his children to do. So people will say, well, here's the covenant, and this is the covenant that God made with them. These were part of the commands that they had to follow. I don't have to follow this. That's fine. We're just learning and exploring scripture together. Deuteronomy, be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Joshua, who we just got done doing eight weeks on, isn't it interesting that when they burn the whole city which this is Jericho. Remember the song that we sang, Tear Down the Walls of Jericho? They burn the whole city, everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the what? The Lord's house. And I find that interesting because God, again, is always orchestrating things. He, he wanted a, a certain tribe and people to be the ones who would be the spiritual leaders for the rest of the children of Israel. And so even in this, as they're conquering a city, he's even figuring out where he's going to move money. Jesus moved money around. He put it where he wanted it to be. Interesting, isn't it? Second Chronicles, again, the Israelites generously gave their first fruits. They brought a great amount, a tithe of everything. See the patterns? First fruit, tithe, first fruits, tithe. Nehemiah, you got the priest, the tithes, a tenth of the tithes. First fruits and tithes. How about Proverbs? Any of you read Proverbs? Proverbs is a great book to read, isn't it? They're like the ultimate one-liners. <laughs> and everyone loves Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Some of you, you have the scripture memorized. Trust in the Lord with, and lean not on your, in all your ways, 
and he will. Everyone knows. Everyone knows 3, 5, and 6. How come no one knows verses 9 and 10? Why do we stop reading there? Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the firstfruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Again, just making an observation. We love this. We cling to this. We quote this. We wear t-shirts with it on. No one ever wears a t-shirt with the scripture on it. <laughs> Same chapter, just a few verses later. Ezekiel, you following the pattern here? Your offerings and your first fruits, and he actually calls it a sweet aroma, that the sweet aroma goes up to heaven because God sees that you understand that you don't own it and you don't control it and you're being faithful to what he has called you to do. Malachi, we finally got to, ver to book 39. See how I did that? The last book of the Old Testament, the verse that's probably used so many times over and over again when pastors and churches talk about giving. And here it is, God is speaking once again to his children who faithfully had given their tithe, their first fruits, 10%. And they had gotten to a point where they started veering away. In fact, they forgot God. And so God, in my reading of this, in his love and his grace and his mercy, wants to put them back in the place that they should be, in the place that he has for them. And so he, he starts by asking them a question, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And he literally says, in your tithes and offerings. Not only so, you're cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation. Here's what you should do to solve this. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in the house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for a blessing until there is no more need. How many of you have heard this verse before? See, look across. So many of you know this verse. And again, I will be honest with you. I believe that sometimes this verse is used to browbeat people. Used out of context, as a matter of fact. To say, come on, wake up. Why aren't you giving? What are you doing? Why are you slacking? And even though God at times has to speak into our lives, and correct us, it's out of his love and his grace and his mercy and wanting the best for us. No one should ever give, I want you to hear this, no one should ever give to a local church out of guilt. No one should ever give to a local church because the pastor made you feel guilty on the ride home. The only reason you should ever give is because the Holy Spirit is stirring something in your heart and your life. And you were so just overwhelmed by his love and his grace and his mercy. And it's through the wisdom and knowledge that he gives to you as he transforms your mind, as Romans talks about, and he transforms your heart. And you get to a place where you realize that it's all God's anyways. And what ends up happening is you begin to reverse the way that you look at the tithe. And you look at money. Instead of saying, I can't believe 10%, Pastor Tim. There is a recession going on. My Costco bill was 20% more. We just went Saturday night. This is a terrible time. Who are you? Do you not read the news? No, really, I don't. I try not to. Because I know this about our God. He is faithful. And he has an economy. And he has a stock market. And he has a checkbook that the world doesn't understand or know about. 
In fact, he's able to do far more than we could hope, dream, or imagine, because again, he owns it all. And so often he orchestrates things in our lives. And sometimes you just be faithful in what you do, and God begins to pour out these little blessings over and over and over and over again until you get all the way over here and you go, my gosh, this doesn't even make sense. God, why are you so faithful? Why have you been so loving and gracious toward me? And it's because you've trusted him with what's already his. And the inverse of what takes place is, I can't believe I am trusted with 90%. I can't believe that God has given me all of this to manage. My household, my job, my business, my kids. Man, 90%, I can go to Disney World, I can go buy a boat, I can go buy a camper. God, you're amazing in the way that you have shown your love and your grace and your mercy in my life. See the difference? So as we read through these Old Testament passages, will you give me this this morning, these three observations. There's a consistency as it talks about the tithe, the first fruits, and the 10%. Agree? All right. That the people of God consistently tithed, and when they didn't, he called them out on it, and they got back on track. You're being quiet. Is this place going to be empty next week? All right. The people of God gave to the house of God. Okay. We're good. No one's going to tomato my car on the way out. All right. So we're all on the same page. So let me tell you my story. This is the house that I grew up in. It's in St. Clair Shores. Anybody from St. Clair Shores? It's 13 in Jefferson. It's a 1,000 square foot house. There was three bedrooms and one bathroom. I spent all of my childhood peeing behind the garage. More than I did inside the house because there was six people living in this house. My parents had three kids and then they had a surprise slash blessing child that came later. So there was three teenagers and an infant living in this house. I have so many incredible memories of this house. My dad put this siding on this house. My dad put the roof on this house. The same stuff that's still there to this day. I remember playing basketball in the driveway of this house. I remember all the incredible friends that I made on Hoffman Street. I remember going door to door in this neighborhood selling candy bars so that I could afford to go to church camp. So many things that took place in this house. So sophomore in high school, when the Holy Spirit started stirring my heart and softening my heart and saying, Tim, I really think that, that you should go into full-time ministry. And I said to God, no, absolutely not. That's a terrible idea. Our church was in some turmoil at the time. I had watched pastors come and go. Some of them had to go because of sin in their life. And I said, that's the last thing that I want to go into. God, I'll make you an agreement. Let me go get a business degree. I'll start a business. I'll make millions. And I'll give as much of it away as you want me to give. And God said, no. You're going to Bible college, buddy. And when I finally gave up and realized that that was what God's call was on my life, I went and I got a job. I was a sophomore, I said, at this place. Anybody know Blossom Heath in St. Clair Shores? Anybody ever have their wedding there, been to a wedding reception there? Oh, your wedding was there. Yeah, so. And so I went there, and I started working on the weekends, and I was making $4.25 an hour. And I would work Friday night and Saturday because that's when people have wedding receptions and I'd work eight-hour shifts, so do the math, 16 hours times 425 times four weekends a month. 
and I was sitting in a church, and our pastor was doing a sermon on tithing and giving. And I started laughing, and I said, there's no way. I just got this job. How in the world am I going to give any of the income that I have? I have to save for college. God, if this is the call of God in my life, either you got to find somebody else in the church to write me a big check to get me through this, or you got to help me figure something else out. And then he began to break my heart down and break my heart down, and the Holy Spirit began to work. And I said, maybe I can do this, and I began to write a portion of what I was getting back to the church. All right, God, I'm going to trust you. If this is what I'm calling, if this is what you're calling me into, if this is what you have for me. A whole year goes by. I'm in my junior year. It's getting more serious. I only got a couple more years until I begin to go to college. My parents are working their tails off. My dad was actually working three jobs at the time because he put us through private high school. My mom was working full time, and my dad found out that he lost two of his three jobs. One was because the Navy forced him to retire. The second one was because they closed the entire Navy part of Selfridge, those of you that know Selfridge. And so he worked as a civilian at Selfridge. And they said, son, we're not sure if we can help you for college. And I got really stressed out. How am I going to do this? Now I don't have my parents backing. I don't have my parents' help. How is this going to work, God? And I began to pray and say, God, you got to show up. you got to do something to help me fulfill the call that I believe. I believe this is what you told me to do. And when you know, I'm talking to one of my uncles. And he said, hey, have you ever thought about switching jobs? Maybe you have an income problem. Maybe you should go find a job that you can actually produce a little bit more so you can save more. Why don't you go and apply at this place? Does anybody know what this is? Oh, wow. The Gross Point Yacht Club. I said, why would I do that? I got to drive further down the road. Right, I live at 13 in Jefferson, Blossom Heath's at 10 in Jefferson. Now I gotta go all, I gotta go into Gross Point. <laughs> okay, so I go and I apply and they accept it, and I was making one dollar more an hour. Now I'm making $5.25 an hour. And I said, Okay, God, this is what you have. Here's what my income is, here's what's going to my local church. Three months later, they pulled me in a room and said, You are a hard worker, you show up early, you are willing to stay late, you even come in with your pants ironed. <laughs> Which, isn't that crazy that that was a thing? We're going to promote you to a banquet server. And when you are promoted to a banquet server, you're going to do all of the banquets that we have here at the Yacht Club, which included weddings, and there's an 18% gratuity that's automatically added, and then it's divvied up amongst all the servers. Let me tell you something. When I got that first check after being a banquet server, I thought I hit the lottery. <laughs> I was like, this is crazy. And what's so cool about the Yacht Club is it's the same people over and over again. They're insanely generous people. But I had to work hard. I had to be there every night, and I had to work holidays. So I would be there on Thanksgiving Day. They gave us Christmas off. I was there for every New Year's Eve party, Easter, Mother's Day, Father's Day. The 4th of July was awesome because they had their own fireworks show. And in two years, think about this, I was able to save enough to send myself to school for the first semester in Minneapolis. All because of God, not because of me. And think about this, this money that was being generated wasn't so that I could go spend it on myself and buy new clothes and buy a new car. No, in fact, it all went into an account that I could save so that I could study what I studied so that I could be here standing in front of you today. I want you to think of this. So here I am. Off to Minneapolis I go. 
I know I have enough in the account to get me through the first semester. God, all right, we've played this before. We're going to keep doing this. What is it that you want me to do? i got to find a job. So one of the guys on my floor says, hey, I park cars down at the Marriott Hotel. You want to come park cars with me? I was like, drive other people's cars? <laughs> He's like, sometimes we get sports cars. Sometimes we get celebrity cars. I'm like, sign me up. But I knew enough from the yacht club to know this is where you get tips. And when you get tips, you make more money. So I said, sure, let's go. And so I started parking cars. And I still remember coming home to my dorm room with my $1 bills. I felt like a drug dealer, right? <laughs> Every once in a while, you get a five, but pretty much stacks of ones. Uh, and then you go like, all right, here's what my tips were. Here's what's going to my local church now in Minneapolis. Three months later, they tapped me on the shoulder and said, you've shown leadership ability because you come early and you're willing to stay late and you're willing to work hard. We're going to promote you to an evening manager. Boom, instant raise. Three months after that, they pulled me into an office and they said, Tim, our assistant manager is leaving. And I was like, why? What's going on? Is he okay? No, he's just taking another job. And we would like you to become the assistant manager of the entire valet here at the Marriott Hotel. And they said, oh, by the way, just so you know, it's a full-time salary. We're going to give you benefits and something called a 401k. And I said, what is a 401k? I'm 20 years old. I can tell you this. God is so gracious. And it doesn't mean that you don't have to work hard. It doesn't mean you don't have to persevere. But when we trust God with the little, he is always faithful time and time again. And guess what? All of a sudden, you start living in this reality of you can't outgive God. God, if you want me to keep doing this, then he's going to keep pouring out his blessings over here. God, you want me to do this? I'm going to keep getting your blessings over here. And again, it doesn't mean that you have all the things that you want in life. But your heart is just full of what it is that he wants for you and what he has for you. And I know I'm going long this morning, but I hope you're still with me. Because I'll tell you this, after a couple years of being the valet manager and being part of this and having a salary and continuing to give off that salary... This is where the sinful, prideful side of me came in again. Because that same company approached me and said, you've been the assistant manager for the last two years. We now want to make you the, the lead manager. We're going to send you out to California. We're going to pay for your apartment. We're going to give you a car. And we're going to double your income. We just need you to go out to California and run the valet company at this huge Marriott resort in California. And I was like, this is it. This is my out. I can get out of ministry. God, you've opened the door for me to be a business person. <laughs> And then I read this verse. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. I was like, all right. You're right, God. It's not about me. And it's not about now. And it's not about making my life comfortable on this earth. It's walking in whatever plan and purpose that you have for me. And that's my heart for you guys this morning, that God would break your heart, that you would walk in lockstep with whatever it is that he's calling you to do. Again, guilt-free, joyous giving that God has for us. And so if you ask me, does God really own everything? I would tell you this, yes, he does. And then I look at what is my responsibility with what he has given me. How do I excel in the grace of giving? And how do I do it, God? With a cheerful, 
and joyful heart. Amen. Amen? Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I thank you for our congregation. God, I thank you for the patience that they've had with me to go a little bit longer this morning as we kick off this series. And God, I pray that you would pierce our hearts, that you would awaken us to not be afraid to talk about this because it's what your word talks about over and over again. I pray as we face these next three weeks of digging into your word even more, from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, that your Holy Spirit would help us, all of us, to grow in the grace of giving. God, we know and trust that you own everything and that you allow us to be stewards of what you have placed in our hands. 